it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. And, man, do we have a lot to discuss today. Eric Prince, former U.S. Navy SEAL officer, founder of the private military company Blackwater USA. What he would do right now if called on to help out in the Ukraine against Russia. What he's seen so far. This guy can analyze, break down, purchase, weaponize, and acquire just about anything he wants in the world. Man, I hope he goes in. Right now, there are 20,000 foreign fighters fighting for the Ukrainians. The Russians, I don't care what you say, they have been butchers. They have been killing innocent women and children, duping them into thinking there's a safe haven corridor to evacuate, and then killing them in cold blood while performing terribly on the battlefield. They have people abandoning their posts. They have two generals killed. Nine aircraft shot down over the weekend, and then they lost maybe two more today. And now this news. Uh, the world is uniting around making Russia suffer economically and maybe eventually militarily. Uh, I'll get to Colonel West in just a moment, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The reality is, is that deal then becomes a backdoor for Russia to enter the global economy. Um, mm-hmm. Iran will money launder everything for them, and Iran will turn around and they will take all the, the cash that they're making, and they will buy weapons from Russia that they will use to threaten their allies. Of course, that was James Carfano. He's a former lieutenant colonel in the Army. He knows exactly what happens. Don't look away. The Iran deal could get done today. It will remove virtually all sanctions and allow them to sell their oil openly. And deal is done with the guidance of Russia. I'm not kidding. While the U.S. is not even allowed in the same room. This has got to be stopped. Number two. Would President Biden ever undo his executive order that stopped the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline? Are you suggesting that would solve the gas prices issue? Well, do you think that that would maybe affect prices faster than getting the whole country off of fossil fuels? I actually don't think it would. Really? You're the one. Energy. What will it take to isolate Russia's oil and keep it from coming to American shores? Today at 1045, the President of the United States is going to announce that Russia oil will no longer be welcome here, only because Congress pushed them. We'll bring you the details. Number one. I stay here in Kiev at Bankova Street. I don't hide and I'm not afraid of anyone. I will stay here as long as it's necessary to win in our patriotic war. While all around him is turned to rubble, his men fight like, uh, and some women, uh, fight like heroes. That's his President Zelensky. Say I'm not moving. And then he took us on a tour of his office to say, come and get me if you want. He's the leader. We're talking about the fights, the talks, the Russian disregard for innocent life and the need to take down Vladimir Putin. First off, we, we know there's no no-fly zones, right? 
I got to get details on this, but Politico has an original story that a letter was signed by 27 foreign policy experts to say there's a way to set up a limited no-fly zone in the Ukraine. Humanitarian corridor is one element of it. Next, you inform Russia, this is what we're doing. We don't want any trouble. We just want people to be able to evacuate and not die a horrible death. With a, with a pet in their hand and a suitcase in the other and maybe a two-year-old in their arms. That's what we're witnessing. And I think instead of sitting back and saying we can't do it, I think these 27 foreign policy experts, bipartisan they say, I'll get more detail as the show moves on. Politico had the um, exclusive story as we move through. The other big news is I'm going to give you the play-by-play as we understand that Jackie Heinrich, our, our White House reporter, let us know. Yesterday, the Ways and Means was over the weekend working very hard hard on a bipartisan basis to eliminate Russian oil and gas from being purchased by American companies. Seven percent of our total purchases are from Russia, but we are their number one customer. And if you ask the American people, when you see the carnage in Ukraine, do you really want to buy oil from these people and give them additional funds to fund that terrible military and that war machine that's inflicting horror on innocent Ukrainian people? The answer is no. In fact, Quinnipiac did a study. Seven of ten Americans, when asked, would you pay higher gas prices to not purchase Russia gas? The answer was seven in ten, yes, we'll pay more. And President Biden and all you White House people, especially, I'll leave Democrats out of this, White House, don't say this problem in Russia has raised gas prices. The gas prices were up to four dollars. Now they're around four eighty. Two hundred barrels of uh, oil is coming our direction, but that was happening before Russia took, uh, moved into the Ukraine. So listen to this. So the Ways and Means Committee, working on a bipartisan basis through the weekend, developed a plan to ban all oil imports from Russia. Then they get a call before they make the announcement to say, "Hey guys, from this is the White House. Don't make the." Uh, don't make the announcement. They say, we already posted it five minutes ago. They go, pull it down. Well, Reuters kept it up. Then Nancy Pelosi goes, let's put it back up. This is a bipartisan House plan to ban Russian oil. Then President Biden calls Nancy Pelosi reportedly and says, please take it down. She is not persuaded by the argument. It moves to the Senate. So then Schumer is gets a call from the White House to put pressure on Ron Wyden not to move forward with a, oil, a ban on Russian oil. What it seems to me is, as the 1045 presser is about to take root, the president of the United States wanted credit for taking this down. When the credit belongs in Congress. And Nancy Pelosi, to her credit, came out and says, you know, I agree with Senator Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey Graham agrees with Nancy Pelosi and Senator Menendez. And Jim Jordan and says, I don't want to I don't want any Russian oil here. What happens after is a controversy. We want to drill more. We want to get those permits out. We want to open up the, the possibilities, have emergency meetings with oil and gas companies and say, we need you to drill more to provide America with more in order to keep oil and gas prices and diesel prices down at a decent level. Why? Because trucks need diesel, diesel's through the roof. You need gas in your car, you got to travel, you got to go to work, right? Gas is through the roof. If your boss is not going to pay you more, you're probably not going to go to work. You might have to change jobs. Everything moves up. Inflation moves up. So that's what's happening. Energy is this major story, along with the carnage that we're witnessing. And for Nancy Pelosi, excuse me, for Jen Psaki to come out and smugly answer Peter Ducey's legitimate inquiries into why are you not doing more to keep prices down? Listen, cut 18. 
Jen, it sounds like you guys are blaming Putin for the increase in gas prices recently, but weren't gas prices going up anyway because of post-pandemic supply chain issues? Well, I, I think there's no question that, as we have seen, and outside analysts have conveyed this as well, the increase in the anticipated continued increase, which is, I think, what some of your colleagues were asking about, that that is a, a direct result of uh, the... Okay, you got that. They moved on. Cut 19. You say that you're going to do everything that you can to reduce the impact that high gas prices have on Americans. Uh, we're asking other countries to think about maybe pumping more oil. Why not just do it here? Well, to be very clear, federal policies are not uh, limiting the supplies of oil and gas. To the con let me finish. To the con let me finish. An executive order this Peter, first week I'm that halted new oil and let gas. Let me let me give you let me give you the facts here, and I know that can be inconvenient, but I think they're important in this moment. To the contrary, we have uh, the, we have been clear that in the short term, supply must keep up with the demand. Where we are, and here and around the world, will we make the shift to a secure, clear, clean energy future? We are one of the largest producers with a strong domestic oil and gas industry. We have actually okay. She's reading talking points. Peter's question is totally reasonable, and facts are an inconvenient thing here. I mean, just a total put down, dismissive, uh, smug, condescending. Pick the pick the pick your. Uh, Poison, because it is poison, which he spouts out. And you know what? These, some of these administration positions, which I'm sure she's not in on, are indefensible. And look, I felt bad for Kayleigh McEnany sometimes. Sometimes President Trump did things that were unexplainable. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, tough. But her smug, condescending tone, not appreciated. I think for the country, asking legitimate questions. The oil and gas sector employs a lot of people. Pipelines really employ a lot of people. Union jobs that you just shut down that would have produced over 700, some say 800,000 barrels a day from Canada instead of what they did over the weekend. They actually went and met with Maduro and asked him in Venezuela, a government we don't even recognize, to pump more. In Saudi Arabia, they said, would you do it? We have a visit plan. Why don't you? And then Iran, if you sign this deal, could you put more oil on the global, in, the, in the global marketplace? So in terms of what she's saying, she goes on to say, in fact, I'll, I'll play the last, one more of this, and then we'll, we'll take it point by point. Cut 21. Gas prices are approaching an all-time high per gallon. How high would they have to get before President Biden would say, I'm going to set aside my ambitious climate goals and just increase domestic oil production, get the producers to drill more here, and we can address the fossil fuel future later? Well, again, Peter, the U.S. produced more oil this past year than in President Trump's first year. Next year, according to the Department of Energy, we will produce more oil than every than ever before. Those are those are the facts in terms of oil production. And again, right now there are nine thousand unused approved permits to drill on shore. So I think you're misidentifying what the actual issue is. All right, good, good, great. We're going to handle those permit issues. Uh, about you know what she said, Donald Trump's first year, he took office. He wasn't pumping immediately. But guess what? By the time he was done between the fracking, at least the the, the lifting of restrictions. Uh, the push to move oil forward, we were an unstoppable energy force. So when we come back, I'll talk about that with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West and then Eric Prince about winning this war. Uh, and, of course, at 1045, the president's going to announce we're off all Russian oil. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, well, with me right now is Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. And Colonel, I want you to hear this before we talk. Cut 16. I think Russia Gate was not only a despicable, dirty trick that hobbled the first part of the president's administration, but it also uh, affected a great damage to the United States. Russia Gate essentially froze the Trump administration from engaging with Russia. Now that may have been a second term issue if the president had won re-election, but when Biden won, I felt that there'd be no incentive on the part of the Russians to try to uh, use diplomacy to reach a stable modus vivendi and that they would just grab what they wanted under Biden. And then when he had the kind of exit from Afghanistan, which he did, and then when he essentially uh, took America out of uh, energy independence, increasing the leverage of Russia dramatically, I thought it was uh, inevitable. What a great breakdown of the mess we're in right now. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, welcome. It's good to be with you, and absolutely right, Brian. It is an incredible mess, and all the indicators and warnings that a person like Vladimir Putin was looking for, it happened. And so, yes, uh, you know, the Trump administration was severely hampered and damaged by the whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing. And, of course, when you have uh, Joe Biden come in, and one of the very first things that he does is he undermines our own border. Uh, he undermines our own energy uh, security sector and our own energy independence. And now we know clearly that we are purchasing oil and, and resources from Russia. And now we're even talking about buying it from Iran and Venezuela. And you put on top of that the debacle that is Afghanistan. Weakness is very enticing. And that's exactly what we see happening here. What about the, the Russians? We thought they were 10 feet tall. Uh, they're great at bombing schools, 202 of them, 34 hospitals, 500 residential buildings, uh, 625 missiles, uh, rockets, if you will. Uh, there's 20 dead this morning, most civilians as they were leaving, heading into Poland, killed 20 innocent people with suitcases. Yeah. How would you characterize this type of warfare? This is indiscriminate killing of uh, innocent women and children. This is without a doubt war cr- crime level uh, actions. And I think this is something that the world has not just to sit back and say we're going to condemn it and, and point fingers. The world needs to step up and take action about this because history is repeating itself. It wasn't too long ago in the last century when we saw what happened when Adolf Hitler won a Sudetenland. They said, okay, ethnic Germans, uh, I, I, I now want Czechoslovakia. Okay, give them Czechoslovakia. And next thing we got introduced to Blitzkrieg War. And so Vladimir Putin's machine is stalling 
But right now, uh, he does not see any deterrent whatsoever coming from the West. And we have got to step up, especially Europe. They've got to step up and do something about this. And NATO has to do something about this. And I don't understand why Joe Biden is dragging his feet on cutting off the uh, purchasing of Russian oil uh, by the United States of America. To me, it's just unbelievable. Bipartisan uh, push to pass legislation to force him to do it. He had emergency calls yesterday. Uh, to not push this legislation forward, and I guess I know why. He wants to take credit. At 1045 today, he's going to announce we're no longer going to be importing Russian oil. I mean, isn't that terrible leadership, the exact opposite of what you should be doing in times of strife? He wants credit for doing something he did not want to do. Like he said, I couldn't. We can't get off the SWIFT system. Europe moved first. We can't stop Nord Stream 2. Not yet anyway. Germany says it's scrapped. And now we find out about Russian oil. Congress, bipartisan set of Congress, he can't control the Democratic Congress. Well, the thing is that I learned in the military, leaders never take credit. They only take responsibility. And this administration has a hard issue with that. But even if he comes out and says today, you know, that we're going to cease the purchasing of Russian oil, we know that they have already sent invoice to Venezuela. We know that they're already talking about buying oil from Iran. Uh, and why would you want to talk about buying oil from Iran? And why would you go back into the Iranian nuclear agreement, and which is also going to upset the Saudis, and you're going to go and beg the Saudis for increasing oil production? None of this makes any sense whatsoever, Brian. But the bottom line is that Joe Biden is more so a slave to the progressive socialist Green New Deal energy uh, delusion, and therefore he is not going to do what is necessary for the American people as far as our energy independence. And look at the prices of gasoline right now. He, he is killing the American people. This this is an increase in taxation, if you want to put it that way, what we're having to endure at the, at the pumps. So we have put sanctions on them. We did pressure uh, of many banks outside the energy sector on the SWIFT system. We have pulled out so many from Apple, I mean, dozens of, uh, uh, dozens of companies from Shell Oil to Apple. Uh, I can run through them all. Starbucks, Pepsi, and Coke and McDonald's mysteriously have stayed in Russia. They are going to feel the pinch. There's been 17,000 Russian protesters arrested. How do you break this yeah. standoff? Well, how do we get to Vladimir Putin? He's the problem, Colonel. Well, he is the problem, and I think that most importantly, you start to isolate uh, him economically and those people that support him, and that means isolate China. Uh, that that is now his number one uh, financial backer, and so we've got to look at how we can be tougher on China, who has said that they're not going to condemn him, and they still see them as having an ironclad relationship. The other thing you have to use is your information operations to start going after these Russian troops, and you know forcing them to have some type of moral sense about what they're doing, and maybe they'll lay down their arms, and maybe they will not right. continue on with what we see happening there in the Ukraine. So it's many different things that you have to. Uh, bring together the diplomatic aspect, the informational aspect, the economic aspect, but you also have to have a credible right. military deterrent uh, in the end. Colonel West, you didn't get the nomination. Where do you go from here as people in terms of the governorship? Well, I tell you, uh, immediately I had the folks from the American Constitutional Rights Union reach out to me, and that was an organization started in 1998 by Robert Carlson and several others from the Reagan administration. So we're going to work on restoring constitutional rights here in the United States of America. Nice. Uh, Colonel West, thanks so much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Take you care, Brian. It. Eric Prince on winning the war in a private way. If we're not going to formally go in and fight, what could Eric Prince recommend?
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. They continue to advance, but they cannot hold and secure the rear area, which really brings down to logistics. They're going to struggle over time because the way they have conducted this battle is so spread out on so many fronts, and they're pushing all their combat power forward without securing their rear areas. The Ukrainians are going to put up a tough fight. Uh, they are, and I'll tell you what, Russians, we don't get the true number on how much damage they're getting, but two generals are dead. We know that. Nine aircraft shot down over the weekend. We know that. Two just happened this morning, uh, that we understand, from Ukraine. The capital still holds, and Odessa still holds. Joining us now to talk about winning this war uh, and what we actually could do and what he thinks of the Russian performance so far is Eric Prince, former U.S. Navy SEAL, founder of Blackwater and the Academy. Uh, Eric, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Brian. How are you? Good, uh, good. I mean, we're doing 1045 today just to announce the president's going to make it official. We're no longer importing Russian oil. But in terms of the actual battle, are the Ukrainians doing better than you thought? Sure. They're, they're winning by not losing. When, when they're up against that much combat power, uh, I think the Russian generals had assumed it was going to be uh, much, much simpler than it has been. And now, as they as they drag into spring, every day it gets a little bit warmer, which means all that fantastic farmland of Ukraine that's covered with snow turns to one big mud bog, which further channelizes the Russian supply lines or lines of attack even more so onto roads, uh, which makes it that much better for the defenders to be able to ambush, roadside bomb, uh, and and to cut off uh, the Russians from advance. It's um, Especially in the north, where the Russians have pushed in trying to get to Kiev, it's, it's, uh, it's almost a magnificent opportunity if the Ukrainians could marshal enough resources to counterattack and to, and to cut off and surround that Russian army coming in from the north. And we have that convoy that's just sitting there, mostly supply trucks. I know, I know they've gotten a few of them, but that's a mystery. Have you figured out? Did they, the word, word is they just ran out of gas. Uh, the old phrase of Erwin Rommel, novices argue tactics, professionals plan logistics. Somebody missed that in the, uh, in the planning. I, 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 I really think they thought this was going to be much simpler, that they were going to be viewed as liberators. And, and that's the thing. As imperfect uh, as Ukrainian democracy might be, the fact is there's a lot of people turning out to defend, to stand up, to toe the line, uh, to say, not on my, not on my country. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing vote. Uh, of confidence in the in the Ukrainian um, uh, form of government because uh, because the citizens have really uh, really responded amazingly strongly. Right. I want you to hear what President Zelensky said to ABC last night. Cut nine. The problem is that for one soldier of Ukraine, we have 10 Russian soldiers. And for one Ukrainian tank, we have 50 Russian tanks. But we are destroying them, and this difference is that the gap is closing. But the question is, how long can we withstand? Many things depend not just on us. We will endure. So the question is, is time's on whose side, Eric Prince? It's, it's going to become tougher and tougher for the Russians to, um, uh, to win this. I mean, look, the, and, and, the, and the more uh, contested, the more damage they do to these cities, the nastier the urban defense can be. If they try to fight in the cities, it's, it's, it becomes a huge advantage to the defender. All the, the high-tech uh, firepower of the Russians becomes uh, largely, you know, 
uh, evened just by the, the physical nature of urban terrain. So the, the, the weather is not going to be on the Russian side for the next three months because it's going to be mud season. Uh, the great Raputista that, uh, that they say in Russian, the great slush. So it's, it's uh, certainly the Russians are trying to push. They're trying to close off Kiev, <clears throat> even if they do. Uh, they're going to be extremely vulnerable to to rear attacks, uh, but we, you know, we certainly have to uh, to get all the help that is possible to them. I, I wish the administration had uh, had moved earlier, back in December, to offer some air power. The Russians thought this was going to be a cakewalk. If it was apparent to them that it was not going to be a cakewalk, I don't believe they ever would have invaded. Right. And so deterrence again, uh, right? That, 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 that a total failure of deterrence. Right. So and simple, cheap deterrence, not would, expensive deterrence. Would a missile defense system have been effective? Would an Iron Dome-like system been effective? Are they practical for a country like that? Uh, we, we, we wouldn't even know how to do that. I, I recommended, I laid out a, a very detailed plan based on existing U.S. Air Force documents. They're retiring more than 200 combat aircraft this year. And I said, look, send some of those under a Lend-Lease program, some of the old F-16s, F-15s. A-10s that are literally going to be flown to the desert of Arizona this year and parked to rot uh, for all eternity, written off by the U.S. Air Force. Instead, they could have flown them to Ukraine and had a significant deterrence factor. I mean, the A-10s were literally built from nose to tail to destroy Russian tanks. That's the kind of thing that would have made the Russian generals pause. It would have. I don't think – Yeah, Michael Walt said the same thing. I don't – I don't think the fight is in it in the, the rank-and-file Russian soldiers. There's probably some generals that are under pressure from their boss, Putin, to try to get this done. But uh, I don't think the fight is in it. And so any deterrence at, at that level would have prevented this entire debacle from happening. So we'll and, could, of course, right. the, Biden administration, the Biden administration could have said, carrot and stick. Carrot, Ukraine does not need to be part of NATO, but here's the stick. We're going we're gonna to give them the means to defend themselves so that nobody does anything stupid to their borders. Right, but they wouldn't have liked that because they don't want uh, weapons at their borders and troops there. But guess what? Russia has got that. Now Estonia, Latvia, uh, Lithuania, there's now more troops in those NATO nations than ever before. And they're, they're more united than ever before. The EU is more united than ever before. In many ways, there's Vladimir, Putin, Vladimir Putin hasn't achieved almost any of his objectives. Would you agree, Eric? Uh, correct. And he is he's managed to reinvigorate NATO. In fact, he even got the Swiss to come off the sidelines. The Swiss sanctioned uh, Russian bank accounts. The Swiss didn't even the Swiss did not even sanction Hitler in, in World War Two. So he has certainly um, caused a wake up call that he was not expecting in all of Western Europe. So, Eric, if you were called on, could you help? I mean, he's asked for everybody and anybody. And there's about 20,000 foreign fighters who are there. I mean, there's a lot of aid there to afford a guy like you. Could you go in there and help, or sh- would you? Are you interested? I, I definitely have some ideas on what can be done, Brian, and I'll leave it at that. Um, would that be so? Is that one of the reasons why you would put together a private army? Uh, not a private army. Look, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of historical uh, precedents to Americans volunteering and going as uh, to assist. Uh, friendly nations that needed it. Whether it was in World War One, there was Americans that uh, that flew for France. There was Americans in the Eagle Squadron that flew in the Battle of Britain, defending uh, London from uh, from German bombs. And the Flying Tigers did uh, significant work 
over China defending Chinese cities from Japanese bombs. So there's lots of uh, parallels where Americans with um, the right skill sets can go add value and defend humanity. Well, we already know when the when the Russians don't get their own way, they just blow as much up as possible. I mean, I ran through some of these stats. 202 schools, 20, um, uh, they just killed 20 people evacuating from the Sumi region uh, into Poland. They just killed them indiscriminately, 34 hospitals. Uh, they say 500 apartment buildings minimum have been destroyed. And some people worry about tactical nukes. This guy, Clint Watts, a research fellow at the Foreign Policy Institute, said this, cut 15. The last thing I just want to add is the comment about short-range or tactical nuclear weapons has not been discussed enough. In our mind, we, we think of the day after tomorrow, a big interballistic battle on multiple continents. Russia has other capabilities, and I would not be surprised if it starts to enter into the conversation here if they can no longer advance and they can't get the settlement they want. So some tactical nukes. We, we haven't really seen them in the battlefield, have we? Uh, fortunately, never. There's only been two nuclear blasts, and that was Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, look, what the Russians did to Grozny, to their own Russian territory in, uh, in the late 90s, was, was abhorrent. Uh, they destroyed lots of, uh, of urban terrain and lots of civilians. Uh, I would be surprised if they even have tactical nukes uh, distributed down to those uh, artillery units or to the to the rocket units. I certainly hope they don't. Um, th- that stuff should have been eliminated uh, or removed from those from those line units by the previous arms reduction treaties because the U.S. certainly pulled all that stuff back per treaty. Um, but who knows? You, you, you never know. It, it is certainly not going according to plan. It is becoming. Um, Maybe even it starts to endanger the regime with the amount of economic shock that it's causing to the average Russian people. I'm all in favor of sanctioning the oligarchs and the government, but we may um, – there's two things that we can do to overreach. <clears throat> One is to squeeze the average Russian wage earner that's just trying to feed his family. Their ability to influence Putin is pretty limited, and so – it doesn't make sense to me to make 140 million people suffer in Russia based on the actions of less than 1 million people. <clears throat> and two, if by, by totally forcing uh, the Russians out of the SWIFT system, if we go that far to where the only entity they can really trade with anymore is China, it's going to start to create a, a, a solid alternative to the dollar. In the United States economy, our entire way of life is subsidized by the dollar being the world's reserve currency, and that's demonstrated every year by the fact that Congress can just print another trillion dollars extra in deficit spending uh, to, to fund our way of life. And when, when there's alternatives to the dollar, <clears throat> then uh, we can't do that, and that means the United States government has to, has to go on a diet, which is going to be uh, quite, quite wrenching for a lot of people in the country. Right. Uh, kind of, yeah, kind of wrenching. I want you to see, talk about creativity and winning this war. I want you to hear what Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, who was valuable, valuable to President Trump, said. He goes, I want people thinking out of the box now. Cut, cut 40. Look, somebody's got to start thinking creatively. Think out of the box. Put everybody in the world on record. 
Put the Chinese on record. You're part of part of this. Economically, they're they're more dependent on us than they are with the Russians. It's put a lot of pressure on everybody. They go to the UN, do that. If it doesn't work, go somewhere else. Keep trying to be creative. Continue to put pressure on the Russians because I'm telling you, Jesse, this is going to be a terrible week. You're going to see a lot of civilian casualties yeah. this week. He's going to employ his artillery. He's going to play his rockets, and he's going to make some really massive destruction in Kiev. And Kiev's a 2,000-year-old city, and he's going to try to destroy it. So is there some creative things that they could do, uh, Eric, some things like that? Sure. The problem is in Washington, you, you, we suffer from an inherent massive groupthink. And for all their talk of diversity, they really don't like diversity of, of action. When you have the Pentagon and the people at the NSC, uh, particularly at the NSC, that are largely inexperienced outside of think tank and Washington uh, behavior, they've never done anything difficult or dangerous in the world, it's hard for them to evaluate, let alone come up with any out-of-the-box thinking. That's been my frustration, whether it was a different plan for Afghanistan or a different plan for how to deter or how to, uh, how to, how to stop the Russians' uh, invasion capability before it even enters the country. But, yes, there are some out-of-the-box things that can be done militarily. I won't, uh, I won't broadcast them to the audience now, and, uh, but hopefully, uh, hopefully some things can be implemented here soon. Um, stay tuned. So for two years, I don't know if you heard that bump in, but basically uh, earlier in the show, William Barr talked about the fact that for two years you could not have a Russian policy because of that hoax perpetrated on the American public really targeting President Trump, that he had some type of illicit relationship with Vladimir Putin, and there was no there there. You know that personally. He said that really set this relationship back. And when they saw the weakness of Joe Biden, he said, this is my opportunity, specifically after we left Afghanistan. Do you buy into that theory from what you know? Yes, that's, that's accurate. <clears throat> they smell weakness. And, and why not? I, I, I think America is going to have a similar experience to what we had during the Carter administration when we had uh, a number of countries got rolled over. We had a hostage crisis. We had stagflation. Um, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a wild next uh, two and a half three years in America yet. Right. What do you think, China? How do you think China is into in, internalizing this? Well, if the invasion had gone well for the Russians into Ukraine, uh, it would have made them more likely to act. Now, you know, they view the Russian military as experienced and powerful and 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 much more capable than the Chinese military. Uh, to see them uh, a bit bogged down and not going to plan. And all the Russians had to do was drive tanks across the border uh, for the Chinese to contemplate an amphibious operation across a wide expanse of water. It's, it's much more difficult logistically to do. And Taiwan has very defendable terrain with a lot of mountains and a lot of places to, to stash rockets and artillery and, and forces that can be um, – uh, shielded from the, uh, you know, from the inevitable onslaught of missiles and rockets that the Chinese would launch. So yeah. it probably gives them pause, although I would not be surprised if they still don't try something on some of the smaller islands, maybe something with the maritime militia uh, to, to create a crisis just to test and to probe. Um, Xi is not as strong politically as, as it appears he is. Uh, so Doing something desperate to uh, to rally uh, the, the Chinese uh, man on the street uh, might be in the cards. 
I wouldn't look at them to do it until the weather turns better because, again, weather affects military operations to this day. Uh, and you don't want to do an amphibious operation in, uh, in rough and stormy weather when it still is in the Taiwan Straits. All right. Uh, Eric Prince, thanks so much. Always appreciate it. You bet, Brian. Thank you. All right. That was great. one 408 7669 It's your first time to talk today, so get on board. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I just want to get to some calls as much as we can. I appreciate your patience. Howard, listen on Coil in Nebraska in Omaha. Hey, Howard. Hey, Brian. What we need is another Berlin airlift. We need to bring supplies into Kiev. It would not be technically a setting up a no-fly zone. We would announce each flight in advance. But we would bring a strong fighter escort and if we ended up shooting down some Russian planes, all the better in helping to defeat Putin. Well, I, I, I think they're I'm very curious the details of this 27 foreign policy people uh, who say there's a way to do it to helping for humanitarian purposes. I also saw that we could do a U.N. airlift that according to General Kellogg. That's just a big airlift, like you're saying, for humanitarian purposes. James, listen on WDBO in Orlando. James. Brian, it's an honor to talk to you. Same here. What's on your mind? Oh, I wanted to point out something that I've been missing on the news. I feel like the invasion from the north, the convoy, it's not a convoy. It's a wall or it's a border. It's a seal. It's stopping people from traveling the northern part of the country. They're joining another one up from the south. They're going to cut the country in half. And it's also bait. People, the Russians are trying to get the Ukrainians to come out of the city, and the Ukrainians are trying to get the Russians to come into the city. So it's it's bait to lure them out, and it's a wall. Well, I mean, they are talking about the the river that runs right up Kiev being the new DMZ line, maybe of that country, where maybe the Russians will just look to hold the east and just give up on the west. I would like to see that. The mostly oil, the coal, the iron, uh, of course, the beach, the ocean access is uh, is in the east, and the Russians will be rewarded for their thuggish invasion. So uh, a lot going on today, but the Ukrainians are fighting like real warriors, and it's making the world take notice and try to help. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's going to be a big hour. I appreciate you being here. Brad Meltzer will be here live in studio. Do a simulcast of the number one show in business television, Barney and Company. Uh, Kurt Volker will be joining us at some point, former U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine and Ambassador to NATO. So how perfect is he? We'll get his perspective. And we know this, sometime within the hour, the President of the United States will have a press conference, at which time he'll make his last effort to get ahead of Congress. And that Congress is about to do this on their own. And that is ban Russian oil from American shores. Stop private business from refining it and buying it. And I believe Congress is going to pass it. The president was desperate to get ahead of it. And now today at 1045, he'll look like the hero. Bottom line is seven out of every 10 of you would pay more in gas to make sure Russian oil, who are carving Russian, the Russian country, is not benefiting 
uh, from sales to our country. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The reality is, is that deal then becomes a backdoor for Russia to enter the global economy. Um, mm-hmm. Iran will money launder everything for them. And Iran will turn around and they will take all the, the cash that they're making and they will buy weapons from Russia that they will use to threaten their allies. And as well as uh, fuel their terror in Syria, in Iraq and beyond. Lieutenant Colonel James Carafano with that expertise. Don't look away. The Iran deal could get done today. It will remove virtually all sanctions and allow them to sell their oil openly and deal the deal is done with the guidance of Russia. Well, the U.S. is not even allowed in the same room. It's got to be stopped. Number two. Would President Biden ever undo his executive order that stopped the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline? Are you suggesting that would solve the gas prices issue? Well, do you think that that would maybe affect prices faster than getting the whole country off of fossil fuels? I actually don't think it would. Of course it would. Energy. What will it take to isolate Russia and keep them from American shores? We're about to find out in a half hour. And why does the whole White House care about green, care more about green than red, white and blue? Number one. I stay here in Kiev at Bankova Street. I don't hide and I'm not afraid of anyone. I will stay here as long as it's necessary to win in our patriotic war. As President Zelensky showing tremendous valor, the leaders, the fight, the talks, the Russian disregard for innocent life and the need to take down Vladimir Putin. Get this. Some staggering stats that just show you the brutality of this country, of this war. 20 dead uh, within the last three hours who are just evacuating uh, from, we believe, the capital city into Poland, just killed. Russian airstrike. 625 missiles have been shot off in the last 12 days. We're in day 13. And 202 schools have been targeted and destroyed. 34 hospitals have been blown up. Hospitals. 500, minimum, 500 residential buildings. These are all war crimes. I mean, my goodness, if something like this happens in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it did, it is by mistake. And there'll be investigations and there's a cover-up, there's a problem. It is not done intentionally. This is done intentionally. And get this, Russia is not doing well. In fact, they have not taken a major city. The one city they did take, there's protests from Ukrainians of the Russian occupation. They still have not moved on in Odessa, even though that we can tell there is no, and believe me, I'm not hoping this happens, there's no presence of a Ukrainian Navy to block the Odessa amphibious landing. President Zelensky has shown tremendous valor. And now he's saying, I want to give you a little tour of my bunker. He's not afraid at all of being taken out. I am because he means so much to that community, to that country, and now to the world. This is what he's doing, though. He's using his magic with the media to get to go to bat for not himself, but for his country. Today, he is doing something extraordinary. President Zelensky, via video link, will actually address the House of Commons. The first time a president of another country has addressed that uh, the main Westminster chamber after having a Zoom call on Saturday with a bipartisan committee at the U.S. Senate and House. With me right now is Kurt Volker, former U.S. Special Representative of the Ukraine, Ambassador to NATO. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thanks so much for being here. Brian, thank you. It's great to be on. We have so many different things to pursue. First off, your reaction to what's going to happen in 30 minutes. The President of the United States is going to say we will no longer purchase 
uh, oil from Russia. Yeah. What has taken us so long? Um, this is so obvious. You know, we are buying Russian oil. That means we're giving Russia money, and they're using that money to pay for the military to attack Ukraine. And we should have cut this off some time ago. How can we be sanctioning them and paying them at the same time? What about if I bring you behind the scenes, and this is what happened, and keep in mind, at Democratic Congress, the Ways and Means Committee on a bipartisan basis were about to pass a piece of legislation to ban Russian oil purchases. The Senate was moving, too. In between, the White House calls and says, stop it. We don't want you to move forward with it. They don't tell us why. Nancy Pelosi gets a personal call from the president. She says, I'm not convinced. I'm moving on with this. Then the president moves, the White House moves to call Senator Schumer to call to Senator Wyden to stop it. Do you notice I've said all Democrats? The, Dem- the yeah. Democratic House is pushing the White House, the European <laughs> Union pushing the White House, NATO pushing the White House on, on Nord Stream 2, on the SWIFT banking system. What's going on? Everything's ass backwards. Yeah, I agree. Uh, We need more U.S. leadership here to drive the train. We need to say that these things have to stop. We should be pushing Europe to follow suit now. Uh, If we ban the oil and gas from Russia, they should too. Uh, We're sending them probably – we were sending them $70 million a day. European Union is probably sending them $600 million. Uh, So they got to shut that off as well. And you know the, what you, you just talked about, President Zelensky talking to Westminster and yep. talking to senators over the weekend. Um, they are pleading for help. They are being attacked by the Russian military. The Russians are indiscriminate. They're killing civilians. They're bombing cities. You know, you've probably been there. I've spent a lot of time in Ukraine. This is a beautiful place, wonderful city, wonderful culture. And the Russians are bent on exterminating it because of Vladimir Putin's fantasy that the Ukrainians don't really exist as a people. They're, they're part of Russia somehow, and he has a right to take it over. Uh, we have to stand up to this. But you know what's uh, heartening? We're seeing this so-called great Russian army uh, actually be a paper tiger. Their, their equipment is outdated. They put all 150,000 troops in. The rest are unreserved. They're begging the Belarus to fight. They asked Kazakhs to fight. They said no. They're now recruiting Syrians to fight. This is a country of what? Uh, I mean, 150 million? And they yep. can't fight and don't want to fight? Many of which have, they've had nine aircraft shot over the weekend, two shot down today. They have two generals killed. And I understand, Mr. Ambassador, people are just giving up. They, They are disobeying orders. Exactly right. And one of the most telling things is... Uh, What the Ukrainians discovered when they captured some of the Russian soldiers, they interviewed them, and the soldiers did not know that they were in Ukraine and on a mission to attack Ukraine. They thought they were on a training exercise. What that tells you is the Russian leadership didn't want to tell them the truth because they knew they wouldn't want to do it. And the moment they learn what they're doing, you are seeing these desertions, you're seeing refusal to follow orders. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough fuel, so they're leaving their vehicles on the road. Um, This is a catastrophe for the Russians, and it's Putin's catastrophe. And you have to believe that the generals and the leadership in in Russia know this. Uh, It's hard for them to do something about it now, but the worse it gets, the more they're going to be looking at Vladimir Putin's leadership. I'm talking to Ambassador Kurt Volker. Ambassador, I'm sure you don't know the details. I don't know it either, but Politico has a uh, a exclusive story about 27 foreign policy uh, so-called experts who have put together a plan Mm -hmm. to put together a humanitarian no-fly zone. It talks about a humanitarian humanitarian corridor. NATO will be representative. 
Russia would be informed but not given permission for to allow people to leave and supplies to get in. Man, uh, I have to get the details, obviously, but Marco Rubio, uh, most NATO, uh, uh, mm-hmm. most of our NATO allies have all rejected this. Where do you stand? Yeah, I wrote up this idea a few days ago uh, with uh, former Supreme Allied Commander it's your idea? Uh, General Phil Breedlove. Yes, Phil and I put this together. I'm one of the signatories of that letter. And uh, a colleague of mine picked it up and ran and got a lot more signatures on it. And the thought here uh, is exactly as you said. We communicate clearly. This is not about attacking Russia. We're not going to hit any Russian forces on the ground unless they fire at us. We're not going to go after any aircraft or helicopters as long as they stay outside this zone. If they do, we'll try to escort them out. If they refuse, then and only then would we fire on them. And believe me. With the way things are going for Putin's military, he does not want to draw us into the conflict. But if we clear the skies, we're we're answering the call from Zelensky, and we're creating some safety for civilians so humanitarian aid can move and civilians can move. And uh, I think this is an urgent step we need to be taking. Wow. Um, I did not know you came up with that. I apologize. Uh, I should have known that. Yeah, so that was – my bad. But, I mean, I would love to see a practical way of people to entertain that and look at that. I know you have an ear to almost every NATO, NATO member, uh, being the, the yeah. job you had. Have you had any people, that anybody look at that and say this is something that's plausible, feasible? Yes. Uh, and it breaks down on exactly the lines that you would think. Um, you have some of the Eastern Central European allies saying, yeah, we've got to do this. You know, we see the carnage. We're taking the refugees. Uh, we, we've got to do something. But you know NATO. If the U.S. is not leading, others are not going to do it without us. So the U.S. has got to be the one that defines this. Uh, I think it's achievable, but it's going to take leadership from the administration. You know, we saw 17,000, I'm sure it's more, uh, protesters arrested in Russia. And they say they get 10 years if they're caught protesting their own country. We saw all the Western media pulled out. Are they going to be arrested? Because if you're accused of fake news, you get get jailed. So all the networks have pulled out. How do we get the truth to the Russian people that they're not the problem, their leader is? And are they powerless from what you know? Uh, The people are basically subjects. You know, Putin is willing to use force against them, uh, arrest them. He has Navalny in prison. He is trying to control all the communications, the Internet, the media. But word is getting out anyway. Uh, Phone calls, emails, social media from Russians in Ukraine, from Ukrainians people to their family members, you know, word is getting out. And that's why those people are protesting, because they have learned what Russia is doing and they don't support it. What about this MiG situation? Now, Poland says, I'll give him up as long as I can replace the F-15, get F-15s, F-16s. Mm-hmm. And now they seem gummed up. People are resident because they're reluctant to look as though Poland is arming the Ukraine. When we, they've already said the Ukrainian pilots will show up in Poland and fly them yes. out. So do you know what's happening here? Even Senator Schumer was pushing to get this done. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. I saw Secretary of State Blinken on the Sunday show uh, where he said, we've given him a green light, we're going to backfill. I checked in with the Polish embassy last night, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. And they wouldn't tell me anything more about why, so I I can't answer what's holding this up. Um, My gut feeling is that they want to see more U.S. commitment that they feel that this would expose them in a way that they are not exposed at the moment, and they want uh, crystal clear guarantees from the U.S. that we will be there with them. Uh, I think, of course, we should be doing this, and it sounded on Sunday like that's what Tony Blinken was saying, too. 
um, but it hasn't happened. And uh, to some of the technical arguments, uh, I don't think these hold up. You know, the Ukrainians fly MiG-29s already. They're flying them from Ukrainian airfields. They have trained pilots. They, they have the maintenance and spare parts because they're already flying the same aircraft. This should be a no-brainer. A tougher one is A-10 attack aircraft that we could provide. Um, we have uh, a whole bunch of A-10s. We were going to declare some of them as excess defense articles anyway and put them you know, in the Arizona desert. We should give them to the Ukrainians. They have a handful of trained pilots because they've trained with us. They're going to need help on the parts and maintenance and crews and so forth. But that's something we could do with money, and the Ukrainians can go and contract. So let me ask them, if we put them, uh, Ambassador Volker, if we gave them to the Ukraine in December, they could be using them now, right? They could have. They could have. All of this stuff, Brian, I hate to say it, but everybody saw this coming, and everybody was saying take action now before they attack, prevent an attack rather than responding only after the fact when the Ukrainians are on their, you know, on the defensive, when civilians are getting killed uh, and you know, the stakes seem higher because now we're entering a conflict, could have done all this before. Uh, Ambassador, uh, we have to ask you, uh, looking at China now, they're trying to backstop what they can for Russia. But Russia has only maybe two dozen oligarchs that have been, that have been sanctioned and we're trying to seize some of their luxury assets. They probably stole them mm-hmm. from, I don't, I don't know how they got their wealth, but most likely stealing from the Russian people. And they're going to do that. And, but why not all? And then we have to, the bigger question is why are we not sanctioning the banks that work in the energy sector uh, among the people pushing back our, our European NATO allies? So how, right. do we, how do we put our hand on the scale there and, and amp up the pressure? Right. Well, Congress has got this. Um, they were about to pass the legislation on oil, and because they were about to pass it over the White House objections, now the White House is going forward and putting the ban on themselves. That's good. Now, if any way we get this done, that's good. Next thing is the secondary sanctions. So anyone who is helping Russia avoid the first round of sanctions should be subject to the secondary sanctions. And it's, it's, there's legislation on this pending in Capitol Hill as well. That's the next thing to do. And I don't think the Chinese are invested in Russia's uh, war on Ukraine. Um, They see their designs on Taiwan as completely different and, in their minds, completely legitimate, whereas Russia is attacking a member of the United Nations, a sovereign independent country, and using brutal tactics. And they view Russia as a weak and declining power, not the rising power China is. So I think they want to keep a distance from this. If the Russians can go through their banks and, and, and use their currency and uh, finance themselves and China makes money off of this, of course they'll do it. And if it weakens the Western liberal economic order, of course they'll do it. But I don't think China is actually trying to weigh in on Russia's side. Ambassador, it's been an education to talk to you. Uh, thanks so much. I look forward to talking to you again. Great. Thank you, Brian. Go get them. Uh, when we come back, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll take your calls. And then the great Brad Meltzer joined us in studio. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm sure that the president can do more. I'm sure he can. And I would like to believe that, that he's capable of doing that. And, of of course, that is President Zelensky talking to um, 
ABC News last night. He said, I expect him to do more. He appreciates what we have, but we have to do more. I agree. By the way, just I want to give you a note. Ambassador Volker, always great to get Kurt Volker's insight as an ambassador to NATO, knows the region, knows an ambassador over there, worked with Ukraine. Uh, this is going to be part of a special. It's called Energy Shock, the coming energy crisis. It's available tomorrow on Fox Nation. The Fox Nation is doing a kick-ass job. Foxnation.com or just download the app. So look for Kurt in that. He's also with uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers. So that was uh, pretty cool. I would think that we could do more. Also continue to squeeze on Russia more. I think we're going to have that. So in about 15 minutes, the president's always late, so probably a half hour, he's going to come out and make an announcement that he unilaterally decided, which would be inaccurate, to decide to no longer purchase Russian oil. That's significant. The question is, with 80% of energy uh, coming from Europe as their best customer, I'm talking about Estonia, Bulgaria, Finland, uh, they take most of their energy, almost all their energy, from Russia. I don't know if they can afford to do the same. Germany, just 80% comes from Russia. Can they afford to do the same? The question is no, but can they do less? Can they start squeezing and start looking elsewhere in a massive way? Yes. When we come back, um, I'll be joined by Brad Meltzer and get the latest. Are we prepared? Should they use nukes? Should they use, Should Russia use nukes on us? Tactical nukes or the big ones? Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The last thing I just want to add is the comment about short-range or tactical nuclear weapons has not been discussed enough. In our mind, we we think of the day after tomorrow, a big interballistic battle on multiple continents. Russia has other capabilities, and I would not be surprised if it starts to enter into the conversation here if they can no longer advance and they can't get the settlement they want. And they're frustrated, and they should be frustrated. They should be embarrassed. A country with a shell of a fighting force but great will to survive as a country that wants a freedom, Ukraine, is holding them off out of almost every out of every major city while they have massive defections. I'm talking about the Russian army. Uh, I'm talking about their military effort so far, 150,000 troops in the Ukraine, and they can't win more than one city. This after almost two full weeks. Brad Meltzer, best-selling author, host of Fox Nation series, Brad Meltzer's Greatest Conspiracies of All Time, uh, and host of uh, Lost History on the History Channel, and author of a brand-new book out today, The Lightning Rod, a Zig, uh, a Zig and Nola novel, um, joins us now. Brad, welcome back. So good to be back. I love talking to you about the kids' books and the, and the nonfiction books, but this takes us back to uh, how we met, which is my fictional thrillers. Right, but this is real. As I brought, we bumped in with a, a talk that we think that if you see the way Russia acted, haphazardly acting with ordnance hitting two separate nuclear sites over the last two weeks, these are energy plants. There's a real fear of technically nukes being used in the battlefield. And your whole book is about preparing for an emergency, right? How, how America is prepared with stockpiles should something like this happen. What is your thought about tactical nukes actively being used in the battlefield in your lifetime? Yeah, you know, listen, when, when this was studied by the government in the 50s and the 60s, they had two kind of secret operations that took place in the government. One was Operation High Point, which was where they built bunkers for the president of the United States to go to if there was a nuclear attack, the Senate to go to. They built Mount Weather in these places up in Virginia, Maryland, outside the city. And then they took a look around and said, well, what do we do about me and you, Brian? What do they do about the regular people? And for that, they launched another secret operation called Operation Low Point. 
And that was the study. It was actually took place in Michigan and it studied what happens to regular people. They made an entire plan for if there's a nuclear war. They said that they're going to take mail trucks instead of delivering mail. They're going to deliver bodies. That's that's what mail trucks are going to be used as as, as hearses in it for morgues. And they had this giant plan, studied everything, and they came to one conclusion in Operation Low Point, which is simply this. It's not going to work. No one wins in a nuclear war. You're going to die. Hiding under the desk is silly. It's all silly. But what broke out was one idea. And the one idea was, after years go by, that maybe we, can be, we can't be prepared for a nuclear war, but there are bioterror attacks. There are other disasters that happen in these wars, especially in the fight we're seeing right now with Russia and Ukraine. And what the government came up with was they have now uh, nearly a dozen secret warehouses. This is all true are hidden around the country, and whether the attack is in New York City, in Texas, in California, in Idaho, it doesn't matter where it is, these places are there, whether it's anthrax, whether it's smallpox, that within four hours they'll have what's called a push package of antidotes that will come to your door. And I said, you're telling me the government has a dozen secret warehouses no one can go inside? I want to know what's in there. And so when you read The Lightning Rod, yes, it's a fictional murder mystery, but what you see inside in the final chapters when you go inside that warehouse, I didn't make it up. It's all real. So the, the fact is, as you look to find out real and authentic, that was pre-pandemic. We had a pandemic. We weren't ready for that. And now I think since the Cold War passed, we're not really thinking about nuclear war these days, Correct. Yeah, well, you know, we it, we do think about it. We have all these games. We have all this continuity of government in, in place, but it's a disaster. And and that's why you saw the international community shift so quickly when those nuclear places were attacked. I talked to a an expert from the Ukraine about these. I'm like, are there stockpiles? You know, we call it here the strategic national stockpile. I said, are these secret warehouses? Does the Ukraine have anything similar? Are they planned? Are they ready? And he explained to me, he said, any good country has a stockpile, but the Ukraine stockpile is already empty. Why? Because they're not prepared for a, a, a war, much less a, a prolonged one. And that's what you're seeing now. This is a David and Goliath story. And as you mentioned, they're fighting back with everything they got. And it's time to put some more rocks in their slings. Do you think that we will change the way we get prepared for pandemics? Do you already get the sense of that? Uh, I can tell you for sure we are. I can tell you exactly what's happening, in fact. So, you know, the reason why the pandemic was such a disaster, and, it's you know, it's always so easy to play politics, but the reality is the Trump administration, the Obama administration, all the way back to Bush, was told over and over that there could be a pandemic like this. And they didn't care. They didn't want to fund it because people didn't want to spend the money on their taxes. They just were like, you know what, let's prepare for bioterror. And what the Trump administration did, you know, good, bad, no one could have predicted it, of course. No one would get this, you know, can get this right. But they placed a bet that the threat for us was going to be a bioterror attack, whether it was anthrax, whether it was smallpox, but a bioterror attack from a foreign enemy like Russia. And we'll be prepared for that, but we weren't going to be ready for a pandemic like we saw. And it was just a bad bet. So now, of course, you know, we have mask-making machines and millions that make them instantly. What we used to do, I'm from Florida, and what we do in Florida, you know, we're always supposed to be hurricane-ready. So which do you think is better? Is it better to store everything? Stuff's going to go bad every year. You're going to lose some money, but at least you're going to have stuff ready in case the hurricane hits. Or do you wait until the hurricane actually hits and then go scramble at the supermarket and, and have a fist fight with everyone who wants the same stuff you do? And sadly, what our government did 
is they did the latter, and we all paid the price for it. So now, obviously, that entire shift has happened, and we're seeing it ready. I guarantee you right now that the stockpile is being filled with things to deal, and I know they already have things to deal with nuclear attacks. There are burn units in there. There are things to treat radiation that are in there. They are. It's like a Costco for the end of the world. Um. I also know that you know great people that rise up at the right time. You know, for a while, not many people thought Winston Churchill had this leadership ability. You know, he was a, a, almost a backbencher before he had the chance to replace Neville Chamberlain. We know what he did. And then the British people got rid of him. Then he came back again. And then we're seeing, I'm not going to put him in Churchill's class yet, but we're seeing a great person emerge at the right time. And the world is captivated by President Zelensky. Listen to a little of him yesterday. Cut seven. We are... A place in Europe, a place of freedom, a zone of freedom, and uh, um, everyone thinks that we are far away from America or Canada. Uh, No, we are this zone of freedom, and when the limits of uh, rights and freedoms are being violated and stepped on, then you have to protect us, because... We will come first, you will come second, because the more this beast will eat, he wants more, more, and more. War is here tomorrow. Yeah, and then he goes on. Uh, he's trying to get people involved, let them know his fight is your fight, talking about freedom. And he's doing it uh, with fatigues on in a bunker. Can you put this in perspective, what we're all witnessing? He united the EU and NATO and Republicans and Democrats in a way I didn't think was possible. Listen, uh, my new book is literally about Winston Churchill and FDR during World War II. And what you're seeing here, I've spent the past year, uh, you know, what what makes a great president and what makes great leaders throughout history, Brian, is one thing and one thing only. It's the ability to adapt when a great disaster happens. It's not about your message when you run. It's not about your promises when you kept them or not. It's when a disaster hits how you respond. It is what made FDR FDR. And, you know, when FDR, when World War II hit, you know, people hated FDR. The Republicans hated FDR. He was a Democrat. But the reason that they supported him is because everyone knew we must stand together when it comes to the war. We may hate his domestic policies. You may hate his, you know, things he put, you know, into as legislation. But when it came to the war, we stood together. And that's what you're seeing today with Zelensky. You're seeing the same way Churchill united his country at a time when people were scared and terrified they need, we always need a hero to look to in those great moments of disaster and those presidents who can step up and take us out of them and make us feel like it's not scary, but it's good. Those are who rise. And what you're seeing today is, you know, listen, we can't forget, even in the American Revolution, as much as we love the stories of taking down the British, we had help. We had other nations that pitched in and helped us. And I think what you're seeing now the way he's uniting Democrats and Republicans, the way I never thought in my wildest dreams that the American people would still be watching what's happening in Ukraine after a week. I, I thought, know. you know what? There's no way we're going to get bored and we're going to want to move on as, as wrong as that is. But look at us because we see something wrong happen. If America is great because we know when we see something that is like an injustice, we don't stand for it. And I love the fact that it's uniting us. And it is behind. I don't want to, again, say he's Churchill or say he's FDR. There's so much history to be written about him. But I think it's vital to understand that this guy is doing something because he's found that way to talk directly to people and it's connecting and it's working. And I think that's why Putin is, I mean, he thought he was, and and listen, the United States thought we were going to be, we didn't plan to give them any help in the Ukraine because we thought they were going to be done within days. Our predictions 
in our all the things that we wrote about it, all the, the kind of secret uh, notes that went back and forth about the Ukraine, where they were going to be overrun in days and will be done. And here they are still fighting their hearts out. So how do you not root for that? And, and, yeah. and again, we have to kind of put more rocks in their slings. Yeah, we didn't know what would gumption and drive and the fight for freedom would actually propel people to, while Russia on the other side said, what the hell are we doing? Why are we fighting? Uh, thanks so much, Brad. Go pick up his book, The Lightning Rod. I know it'll be a big success. Uh, thank you, Brad Meltzer. When we come back, Varney and company, we simulcast. Don't move. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney. Don't just hang in there on your investments. Call Talon Wealth and get peace of mind with active management of your portfolio. Dial pound 250 and save financial plan. Investment advisory services offered through Talon Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. We're about to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney, Varney and Company, and we're going to talk about what's happening with energy, talk business, energy, and foreign policy. And look what a situation we've got here. We've got stocks down, oil up to a record, not a record, but up sharply, gas at a record high. What do you think of that? The the president's appearing in the middle of this situation? Well, I mean, the president's coming here, uh, coming out. Of course, he's five minutes late. He should probably be a half hour late, knowing the way the White House runs. And he's going to say we're off Russian oil. But behind the scenes, Stuart, you got to be kidding me. You see what happened? With a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate, they have voted in a bipartisan way to stop using Russian oil. And the president and the White House yes. calling back to suppress this vote. We don't know why, but Speaker Pelosi wasn't persuaded. They finally got a hold of Ron Wyden through Schumer to not push forward so he could be the hero today at whenever he decides to come well, out and say we're going to stop using Russian oil. What was the delay? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm gesticulating into the camera because I saw something appear on the screen which I didn't want. My apologies, viewers, one and all. So, I don't get it. You've got a fight now between Congress and the White House, and I think it's because if you ban Russian oil, you're going to raise the price of gas even more. And most Democrats know that that's not a very good option. You know, this called doing the right thing and being a leader. And that's what I think America needs more than ever. We need people just to lead. I mean, I watch what Joe Manchin's doing, taking on his own party, but not doing that. He's actually doing what's right for the country. Can we stop thinking right and uh, right and uh, left and start thinking red, white and blue? And seven out of every 10 Americans, when asked, would you pay more for gas if it meant banning Russian oil, told Quinnipiac pollsters, yes, we would. And this is not the reason why oil and gas is going up. And when I found out over the weekend that the president of the United States sent emissaries to deal with Venezuela, a regime that we don't even recognize, to see if they would give us more oil and ask Iran to put their oil on the world market so we buy from them, do they not realize how wrong that is to provide money to terrorist regimes that try to upend freedom-loving people, and governments that are rightly elected, like what Iran does and what Venezuela is doing to South America? Look, the Greens run the Democrat Party. Look at this. Let's get that on the screen now from John Kerry, the climate czar. Here's what he says. We have to do enough in 2020 to 2030 to be able to achieve net zero by 2050. In order to get that zero by 2050, that's a 45% reduction in emissions in eight years. That means they're still pushing heavily 
on a green agenda in the middle of an energy crisis. Makes no sense to me, Brian. I mean, I'm embarrassed for John Kerry. I mean, yeah. my goodness, he sees these, uh, he sees schools being blown up. He sees residential buildings being destroyed. He sees women and children face down in the street, shot dead by Russian snipers. And he thinks the big worry he has, as he goes on in that quote, is that Russia will forget their climate obligations. Mm. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you a human being or are you just a robot? I mean, are you nuts? This is about, if you are concerned, you want to talk about renewables, you want to double down on R&D when it comes to green technology? I think America could get behind that. But you also want to say we're going to use nuclear and natural gas. That is fine for the environment, and we know that. It's other people's agenda. And then to find out that Vladimir Putin was putting ads together to make fracking seem like a bad alternative and play to the green movement in our country to stop fracking in our country because it hurts his oil sales. Get your head around that for a second. They are playing our lack of nationalism against us, our lack of national pride against us. And I yeah. think we're getting the big comeuppance. This is a war, really, of a green agenda against the real agenda. We, and, uh, and I think we're seeing it now, my hope is. We are paying the price for the green energy people's dreams. We are paying for their dreams. That's what's happening. So is Europe. So is Europe, They're paying even more, as a matter of fact. Right. Do you know what it costs for a gallon of gas in Germany at the moment? $7.80. In Italy, it's 8 bucks a gallon. No wonder they're going to turn around on the greens. Brian, I'm sorry I'm out of time. You know how it is. Hard break coming. We'll get to you later. All right, Stuart. Yes, Thanks for sharing your audience. Always appreciate it. one 408 7669 So uh, Stuart's able to go in and out of politics in real life uh, brilliantly. We're also going to dip in. We're probably not going to have time to dip in. Only a few minutes left in this half hour. But I think it's going to be significant to come out and have the president of the United States do this. I just want to say there's right and wrong, and it's going to put a little stress on our system. But I cannot in a clear conscience continue to allow private industry to buy Russian oil when we have other options. Even though we're in a world crisis when it comes to oil and gas, I want to walk away. Or is he going to take the tone of... I am going to do something that's going to put more stress on the American people. Uh, and as gas prices are going to go up and we're going to suffer for that. But we have to do the best we can to get off Russian, uh, Russian oil. And in the meantime, push for renewables and get off fossil fuels once and for all. That's politics. But you know what leadership is? I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to approach the following nations, Canada, Mexico, and the state called Texas. Other states called North Dakota, Oklahoma, uh, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And I'm going to ask for fracking to increase. I'm going to ask for drilling to uh, be enhanced. I'm going to release my ban on federal uh, drilling on federal land and provide permits for those who want to explore uh, areas in which they think oil and gas might be beneath. Because right now we have an obligation to help Europe get off Russian oil and gas. We have an obligation to get America affordable oil and gas in an emergency situation. And if you want to please your left and maybe do the responsible thing long-term and want to speed up R&D when it comes to green technology, I think people say that's a good exchange. Fair enough. You know, everyone's for uh, getting off fossil fuels if there's a decent alternative. We do it cleaner and better than everybody else. So let's buy from us. Is that possible? Short-term, long-term? I hope so. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. Order any of my books. President of Freedom Fighters, hot right now. Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one of the most learned people on China, Russia, and our enemies amongst us. The Washington Post, Josh Rogan, who's got his book now out on paperback, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. And keep in mind, he was writing that book before the pandemic hit. Uh, Andy Card is standing by, and we got waiting for the President of the United States to make an historic announcement, really pushed by Congress, to ban Russian oil from our shores. And before we get to Andy, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The reality is, is that deal then becomes a backdoor for Russia to enter the global economy. Um, Mm -hmm. Iran will money launder everything for them. And Iran will turn around and they will take all the, the cash that they're making and they will buy weapons from Russia that they will use to threaten their allies. And finance terror. That's uh, Colonel. Uh, that's Colonel James Carafano. Don't look now. Uh, the Iran. Uh, the Iran deal could get done today. It would remove virtually all sanctions, allow them to sell their oil openly. And guess who's brokering it? Russia. I'm not kidding. The pariah of the world. And where are we? In the room next door. This has to be stopped. Number two. Would President Biden ever undo his executive order that stopped the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline? Are you suggesting that would solve the gas prices issue? Well, do you think that that would maybe affect prices faster than getting the whole country off of fossil fuels? I actually don't think it would. It would. Energy. What will it take to isolate Russia? We're about to find out. And why does the whole White House care more about green technology than being red, white, and blue? Number one. I stay here in Kiev at Bankova Street. I don't hide and I'm not afraid of anyone. I will stay here as long as it's necessary to win in our patriotic war. President Zelensky speaking earlier. The leaders, the fight, the talks, the Russian disregard for innocent life and the need to take down Vladimir Putin. How that's done, I'm not sure. Andy Card knows all about Vladimir Putin as he emerged on the scene. He was chief of staff of Bush 41 when the Cold War came to an end and the wall came down. Uh, he was also secretary of transportation and then President Bush's uh, first secretary, excuse me, chairman of um, uh, chief of staff. Andy Carr, welcome back. Brian, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on your show again. I mean, your insight's invaluable, especially on the world players. Not much has changed. First off, how significant is the president's announcement that we're not going to be importing 650,000 barrels of gas, uh, 1,000 barrels of, uh, of oil a day from Russia? I think it's the the, the right move to make. I I wish that he would open the spigots more here in the United States and allow us to uh, get more of our domestic energy into the marketplace. Uh, But I think he's making the right decision. I'm not sure it's going to have a huge impact on our economy because it's a relatively small percentage of uh, what comes into service the American population. But I think it's the right thing to do and and uh, maybe a little bit overdue. Right, a, a little bit overdue. I mean, for example, there was a time in which we were very uh, trying to be very uh, finesse the relationship with Russia. They're not our enemy. They're not our enemy. Mitt Romney said that, and he was mocked for saying, uh, for saying that they are our number one geopolitical foe. 
When did they transition, in your mind, Andy Card, from somebody looking to be part of the world community after the Cold War to this? Well, I think it it began with Putin when he became president a long time ago. Um, you know, it isn't that he wants to recreate the Soviet Union. He wants to recreate the old Russian Empire. And, you know, I, I remember the first time I met President Putin was with President Bush, and it was at June 16th of 2001 at a summit in Slovenia. And President Bush had done a remarkable number, a bunch of homework before he did. He read everything he could from the State Department, the CIA, the Defense Department, the Commerce Department. He really did his homework. He also read a biography of Putin, and he read the history of the uh, the, the Russian empire. And so he he was very, very well prepared. But I remember the conversations, and I kept thinking – President Putin has dark eyes, and I just could see that he was calculating and not compassionate, and I was very skeptical of him. I thought that he was a little bit insecure. Uh, I described him a little bit like Napoleonic. He, you know, he, he was shorter than he wanted to be, but said everybody claimed he was tall, you know, that type of thing. And so I was skeptical of him, but I remember that summit very well. And I think that Putin's interest in restoring the Russian empire has dominated his tenure as president and prime minister and then president again. So I see him as very cold, calculated, and um, I, I can say that he spoke candidly the times that I saw him with the president, and I was surprised in the, the meetings that we had, not just at that Slovenia uh, summit, but also meetings in Moscow and at the, Putin's version of Camp David. Um, but he was not very knowledgeable about economics, and he didn't really understand how the United States set its prices if he asked, how do you set the price of bread? And the president said, we don't set the price of bread. It's the marketplace that sets the price of bread. And the president gave him kind of an economics 101 meeting on how the economy works. The president also cautioned to stay away from some of the oligarchs that he was um, in love with. And I remember the president bringing up one name and say, this person is a bad person. You shouldn't associate with them. And Putin said, oh, no, he's a wonderful person. And we uh, knew he wasn't. Really? I'd never heard so, any of this. And now the oligarchs basically are, are being targeted uh, to try to put pressure on Putin. Plus, they probably stole their wealth uh, in, you know, to get what they've gotten so far in that period of time between the fall of communism and when they were trying to establish a, a degree of freedom under Yeltsin and Gorbachev, right? Absolutely right. It, you know, the most important word in our Constitution is the first word, we. It's our government. In in Russia, the we don't make up their government. It's not about the people of Russia. It's about the leadership raping and pillaging and taking all they can for their friends. So there's a big difference between an American democracy and a so-called Russian democracy, which is not a democracy of the people, by the people, and for the people. 
You know, I've, I've never thought President Biden was going to be a, a strong president. What you do is you surround yourself with the best, whatever your party is. You've, I mean, you could argue Bush 43 without this great foreign policy knowledge puts together Colin Powell and Donald Rumsfeld and you who have done this job before, Condoleezza Rice, with her rich uh, Soviet-slash-Russian background. So we had experience around him, and he's got his political philosophy. Game on. Let's go. I look at what President Biden has done. I don't see anything except him. You see Susan Rice and Ron Klain. You see his secretary of state is not a powerful figure, nor is he well-known that I can tell respected. You have a shrinking violet in this huge man in Secretary Austin. I don't see much leadership there. And that's why probably, Andy, in my estimation, we're seeing the EU and NATO lead in many ways in this uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. Well, I do want to give credit to President Biden for uh, shoring up NATO and working in an open way. And Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, has been a, a, a very effective communicator with the NATO community. So, I, you know, I, this is a time when we have to rally behind a president. President Biden has some impossibly difficult decisions to make. And there are tremendous consequences to almost every decision that he makes. So this is a time when I'm not viewing it as a partisan. Uh, Biden is the president. I don't want him to fail in this effort. I don't want him to um, do what he did in Afghanistan. I want him to do the right things with regard to Ukraine. I want him to take Russia seriously. I hope we don't get into a nuclear war. I do not trust Putin. And I feel terrible about what's happening to the Ukrainian people. And I have to admit that I, their, their president is doing a remarkable job of rallying his own people, but also tweaking the conscience of the world to pay attention to what's happening. And I think that time is going to tell that, you know, President Putin Putin is acting in, in such a way that he's really a war criminal. I think that he, investigations will probably find that he has violated so many aspects of the rules of law of war. And I know people like to say, war, there, in war, there are no rules. No, there are rules. And I think President Putin is violating them. Right. I think you could rally around the flag, but also analyze what's happening in real time, because after 14 days, you just can't keep quiet. I mean, for example, when it comes to the, getting off the swift financial system. He's like, we're not ready to do that. Europe did it first. We followed. And now when it comes to when it comes to not getting Russian oil, his Democratic led House and Senate pushed him to do this. They were ready to pass. And according to our reporters in the White House, they were going to pass legislation. And he quickly said, can you hold off? I'd like to take credit for it. And I think that's what we're going to be witnessing right now. I would love to see leadership first. And that would be what your original point was. Leadership would be the heck with my party. We have to drill here at home. Wouldn't you agree? I do. I feel strongly that you know. Look, I I want America's America's leadership to make the difference in the world. We are. We want to be the leader of the free world. We want to be the conscience for the world, and I expect America to lead. I'm not sure President Biden is as forward-leaning as I would want him to be, but he is our president, and so this is a tricky time. I'm I'm not looking to play politics with what's happening in Ukraine. It's it's a tragedy and it's terrible, and I I think we've got to all work together. And 
I'm hoping that President Biden is reaching out to as many competent people as he can to get advice and counsel, and he's encouraging his Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense and his National Security Advisor uh, to do the same. I don't think that this should be uh, a closed discussion. I think that he should be saying, what advice do other people have to do here and, and try to make the right tough decision? You know, this is we have a president of the United States that has to make brutally tough decisions. I want him to get as much counsel as he can and make the decisions in time to, to have results that live up to the expectations that the president would have when he made the decision. Exactly. And that's why yesterday blaming the oil companies for not drilling when they have leases and then for not fully explaining what pipelines would do. I thought that was playing politics through your press secretary. And then the vice president came out and did this. Cut 34. We are all in the midst of a turning point. We have the technology to transition to a zero emission fleet. We can address the climate crisis and grow our economy at the same time. And I am here today to say, together, we all are doing just that. Would that be what you want your vice president to say? No, I, th- I think that's disconnected with the reality of the time. And, you know, one of the greatest challenges to our, uh, our climate is a war going on in, U- in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Believe me, there's a, a lot of pollution being put into the skies because of the war. And it's, this is not the time to be saying you know, a windmill will make a difference or a solar cell will make a difference. We've got a rally, and we have the energy to help keep our economy moving, and we've got plenty of energy to be able to make sure we can help the rest of the world keep moving as it's disrupted because of this terrible war that Russia has imposed on Ukraine. And it's really one person. I mean, I don't even see the people rallying around Vladimir Putin because he's just one man, a brutal dictator who might have shrunk his advisory down to really one or two people, one of, uh, both of which we don't know. The general that came up with this plan evidently is in trouble, according to the Wall Street Journal. But listen to this. We have 625 missiles being shot into this country in 11 days. 202 schools have been hit, 500 uh, residential buildings, and 34 hospitals. I mean, that's just off. This is what the U.N. is reporting, not even Ukraine is reporting. And the numbers in terms of a humanitarian disaster, I mean, we're seeing the pictures in real time. 77 men killed, 406 overall, eight boys, four girls, 15 children, 257 adults uh, are are known as missing, 801 injured. These are non-military personnel, and they're not even trying to be surgical in their strikes. Now that we're in the middle of this, if I put you as chief of staff, how can we minimize the carnage? At the same time, no, we're not fighting in this directly. We can't. We've we've got to call it what it is. I think it's a war crime violation. Uh, But, you know, this is the tricky decision the president's going to have to make. You know, how far do we go to help the people of Ukraine? And we we should do all we can without having some unintended consequence of moving into a nuclear war. And so this is the tricky part of being the president of the United States today. You know, this is not an easy job, and we shouldn't pretend that it's easy. And I know it's opportunistic to say politics is going to be playing a huge role. It should not be playing a role in helping us to find a way 
out of this morass that President Putin put us into. And I do fear that he is so isolated now, so paranoid, that he is not getting advice from anyone who disagrees with them. Everybody about Vladimir telling Putin. him what they think he, wa- he wants to hear. And that means he could be making even more consequential decisions that will be jeopardizing not only the people of Ukraine, not only the people of Europe, but it could be jeopardizing the world if he's going to slide into some nuclear attack that would just just be beyond comprehension. I have been in tears watching what's happening with people in Ukraine right now. And this is outrageous that uh, I think the bill of particulars that you just went through is the bill of particulars that defines President Putin as a war criminal. Absolutely. Andy Card, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. All right, go get him. I'll go get him. one 408 7669 we come back, we'll bring in the latest from the White House, already half hour late, and then bring in Josh Rogan to put in perspective the challenges we have in China and Russia. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports, and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. This is a move that has strong bipartisan support in the Congress and, I believe, in the country. Americans have rallied support, have rallied to support their Ukrainian people and made it clear we will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war. And that is uh, some of their president's remarks. He had just walked out about four minutes ago to make it official. What we heard about about 850 today, Eastern Time uh, a.m., of course, when he came out and said through uh, pressure from Congress, the Democrats and Republicans, that we have to stop importing Russia oil. If nothing else to show, we will not make uh, put money in the pocket of Vladimir Putin to the tune it would have cost to get 650,000 barrels of oil into our coffers. Nope, we're going to go elsewhere for it. He also it says there's going to be a cost. He also pointed out his bipartisan support. Now he's taking credit for a lot of the weapons and a lot of the supplies they're getting in right now and said that he was the one who said Anthony Blinken to see all of our NATO allies. So... When we come back, how's this whole thing unfolding? Do we have a chance of knocking out Vladimir Putin for good? Certainly expose him and his army as a hollowed out, hardly a a six foot tall monster, more like a hollowed out, disgraced judo boy. Uh, Josh Rogan next. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade it's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production that's simply not true even amid the pandemic companies in the united states pumped more oil during my first year in office than they did during my predecessor's first year 
So uh, he's saying the same thing Jen Psaki said yesterday. The president of the United States, if you're just tuning in, has come out and said we are not going, no longer going to be purchasing Russian oil, and he's looking for our allies to do the same. But he says, you know, we don't, uh, we produce most of our more, more more of our own oil and gas, and all of our allies combined. That is true. So he's going to be tough for Europe to do it. It looks like the UK will follow us. But then he followed up with some total inaccuracies. Here's an example of what he just said. The United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports, and the American people will. Okay. Um, here is Steve Malloy. He's a former EPA transition team. See, Jen Psaki said the same thing yesterday. That's why we're ready for an answer. So he said, because we have all these leases out there and they're not drilling, don't tell me you are holding you back. But when it comes to financing, they've also pushed all the banks and big financial firms not to invest in anything oil and gas. Cut 22. Oil coming through uh, lots of pipelines, but Keystone would bring in uh, more oil faster. And, um, you know, that, that's really what we need. But I've got to say, it's not just the Keystone XL pipeline. I mean, the Biden administration right now, in violation of a federal court order, has put a hold on new federal oil and gas leases. I hear Jen Psaki talking about, oh, well, the oil companies have 9,000 leases or something like that mm-hmm. that they're not using. You know, the oil companies use the leases that produce and make sense economically. They don't do just because a lease has been issued uh, doesn't mean that it's worth, worthwhile producing right now. Uh, it all depends on the economics. Um, you know, what Joe Biden should be doing is unleashing our oil and gas sector, forgetting about the climate agenda. Um, you know, nothing. We're not accomplishing anything anyway. Uh, emissions are going up with no end in sight. But people cannot afford gas prices at this high. It's going to cause even more inflation, which is another thing Joe Biden doesn't really care about. By the way, he's not taking questions. Uh, people are shouting out questions like, I know you have a lot of questions. I know there's a lot of questions, but he doesn't like to take questions, which is unbelievable. President of the United States, you can't answer anything. You walk away from the press. Why are they even, why are they even there every day? For Jen Psaki to make up answers and make dismissive, condescending quotes? So keep in mind, Peter Ducey just put this out. This is a quote from Jen Psaki to show how inaccurate her comments are. We don't have a strategic interest in reducing the global supply of energy, and that would raise the prices of the gas pump for the American people. When asked about should we stop buying Russian oil, she went to Karine Jean-Pierre, her replacement, said last week, on yeah, last week, the 2nd of uh, March, we don't have a strategic interest in reducing the global supply of energy. Okay, Jen Psaki and Jean-Pierre, now they both may look like liars. And when you came out and said, you're not using all the leases we gave you, some of the leases are not productive. Josh Rogan joins us right now. Uh, Josh, your reaction to the president's remarks. You know, it's why is it, Brian, that every, every stage of this Ukraine crisis, they have to be dragged into doing the right thing after exhausting all the other options. And then when they do it, they do it sort of in this half-assed kind of way. We saw this with the weapons provisions. We saw this with the sanctioning of seven out of 300 Russian banks. Seven out of 300, really? And now we're tiptoeing into this, uh, you know, sort of uh, what the Biden administration has been getting criticized for for the last month, which is, hey, it makes no sense to say that you're sanctioning Putin and not go after the energy sector, and now we're just doing oil imports. You know, I say, what about the gas? What about the san- what about sanctions on all the – secondary sanctions on all the people who do business with these energy companies? And here's the thing, Brian. 
if you look at what happened, the private sector is already doing it. They're already decoupling from Russian energy because guess what? Putin's not a reliable energy supplier. So we're going to have to do this anyway, but by sort of doing too little too late and dragging their feet and going through all this excruciating verbal gymnastics to pretend they're doing everything they can, all the Biden administration is doing is wasting time. And in a war, hesitancy costs lives. You can't pretend that they have the same philosophy as the Trump administration when it comes to drilling, right? Why are they pretending they do? Just say, I am not for drilling. The first thing I did when I walked in was stop drilling on federal lands, and I'm still ignoring a court order that says I should not be able to do that. And just stand by it. Don't twist the words so it takes the next day to talk to some oil executives and for them to realize what they're doing on these leases doesn't make good business sense, especially if you give somebody a lease but you don't give them the permit. Now, the TikTok that led to this moment, uh, I guess, has been out there and been backed up. The Ways and Means Committee, working yes over the weekend, came up with a bipartisan plan to stop buying oil from Russia. The Senate started moving through with their own legislation. The White House tried to stop it. They called Ron Wyden through Chuck Schumer and said, please stop this legislation. They called Nancy Pelosi and said, please stop it. She said, I am not convinced I'm moving forward. So now the president comes out and essentially takes credit for it. Kind of interesting for all Democratic House and Senate. Right, because everybody knows he, he got bullied into it by his own Party leadership, because Nancy, he wouldn't be to the left of Nancy Pelosi on on Russia. It didn't really make any political sense, so they had to do it. So they did it as gently as they could possibly do it. And you know, it, we you know why they're not explaining their energy policies because they can't please both sides of the party at the same time. So they'll just decide to split the baby and pretend like they're not doing that. But you know, when it comes to Ukraine, you have to imagine these Ukrainians thinking, "What are these guys doing? Why are they futzing around? What is it? What would need to happen?" convince them to really put the screws to Vladimir Putin once and for all. And how, why is it that when, you know, when you talk about sort of, you know, energy and, and compensating, they, they should have been doing this a year ago or at least six months ago when they're, you know, here's, here's the crazy thing, Brian, if you just think about this for one second, right, the intelligence, right, about the invasion was so good. That's what they're so proud of. We, were, we, we called it. We knew this was going to happen. Well, why didn't they do anything about it? Why are we scrambling to make up for lost Russian oil and gas in the middle of the war? If we knew that this was going to happen six months ago, why are they scrambling now? It's because uh, they have a bias towards inaction. They're so risk-averse, and now they're getting pressured politically and uh, geostrategically into doing the right thing against their own instincts. Oh, oh, by the way, Josh Rogan's with us. Uh, he has uh, written Chaos Under Heaven, now out in paperback, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century, so appropriate. Josh, so let's move forward and talk about what could have been done because we're in the middle of a, a, war, a war in which the carnage and personal destruction is overwhelming everybody I talk to. Can't get the images of these women and children being targeted by this evil regime, and I'm talking Russia. But we talk about maybe putting A-10 warthogs in that were going to be mothballed. We could have given them to Ukraine. As Michael Waltz said, he was trying to push the F-16s and F-15s instead of going to the middle of a Nevada desert to be given to Ukraine. Now they're begging for some 1990 MiGs from Russia, and we don't have the F-16s to exchange with Poland to give them the Russian planes that they can actually fly. When you see how hard they are fighting and how much success they are having despite overwhelming odds— doesn't that just 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 kill you to hear what could have been had we you had the foresight to give Ukraine the weapons they could use? It kills me, but it really it really results in more killing of Ukrainians. And that's what Zelensky said. He said the blood of Ukrainians is on our hands because we're futzing around and we won't give them the things that they're asking for. Forget about a no-fly zone for a second. Just talk about the weapons. Those planes, right? I've been talking to Ukrainian officials for weeks who were like really thought those planes were coming. And what was the 
Biden administration's line o- over the weekend. Well, we wouldn't object if the Poland wants to do it on their own, and then maybe we can talk about giving them some. Like, you wouldn't object. That's not. A, does that sound like leadership to anyone? Does that sound like a plan to anyone? No, they're they're sitting back and 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 maybe if the polls decide to take a leadership role in this Ukraine war, we'll support them. Is that really what it's come down to? And you know, when I talk to Ukrainian politicians who are, by the way, in, you know, bombs are going off in the background of our interviews. Literally, they keep saying the same thing. They don't understand. They don't get it. Why does Biden talk such a big game and then nothing comes through? How is that possible? They're they're suspicious that we really don't care about them anyway and that we only care about ourselves and that we're going to station a bunch of troops on the NATO border and watch them get slaughtered. And, you know, they might be right about that. Josh Rogan, our guest. Uh, Josh, you've been talking to people over there, and I think President Zelensky's been brilliant in using the media. And now today he dresses a joint session of parliament. I think that's the right terminology, but it's the first time that's been done. Another president doing it uh, remote. He addressed a bipartisan uh, group of senators and congressmen on Saturday. He is single-handedly pressuring the European Union, NATO, America, and the U.K. to do the right thing. Don't you agree in a way I didn't think was possible in this day and age? Yeah, he 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 sh- he embarrassed the West into realizing that freedom is worth fighting for and even worth dying for. And you know, ha- how dare we talk about you know giving him a ride out of town when he wants to stay and fight for his country uh, rather than giving him the weapons that he's asking for? And you know, it, what kind of crazy world do we live in where the Brits are the most uh, aggressive defenders of freedom and democracy in the world? How did that happen? You know, did I miss a meeting? Because it used to be the United States of America that had to drag Europe into these fights when, when when the fighting was necessary. And again, I'm not talking about World War III. I'm not talking about putting American troops on the ground. I'm just talking about doing everything short of that to make sure Russia doesn't crush this democracy because Europe will surely be next. But now it's the Brits ahead and the Germans behind and we're somewhere in the middle and it's a mess. And, you know, for the Ukrainians, that's a deadly, deadly outcome. So did you, I'm not sure how much you know about the detail, but 27 foreign policy uh, so-called experts have signed a have signed off on a uh, program, a policy that would allow a humanitarian no-fly zone in the Ukraine. Essentially, NATO informs Russia that will be guiding these paths to allow men and women who uh, uh, who are not fighting in this war to get out to another country. Uh, we thought the no-fly zone was impossible. These 27 experts says it is. What can you tell me about it? Listen, you know, this word no-fly zone can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I think what we're moving to is a situation where you're going to have millions of people starving to death with Russians starving them to death. And are we going to watch that on TV every day? Are we going to just see the TikTok videos and turn away? You know, unlikely. So at some point, we're going to have to make a decision, probably in the next few weeks or months, about do we give these people food and do we get the people out who want to get out? And that's going to require putting some planes in the air. Now, I don't think it has to be U.S. Air Force planes. What if it was the International Red Cross? Are the Russians going to shoot that down? What if it was the U- – you know, there is a lot of different ideas about how to make sure that millions of people don't starve to death because Russia wants them to starve to death. That's the conversation that we're going to have to have. But first, how about we have the conversation about may- maybe not letting the cities get under siege? Before we talk about the siege, why not try to stop the siege? And that will require giving these people some air defense weapons, some missile defense weapons, you know. Any whatever they need, why are we 
not giving it to them. It seems crazy to me. Uh, the humanitarian catastrophe is only getting worse from here on out. I know. I mean, all these, if you had missile defense, if you had a few warthogs, if you ever give those MiGs ahead of time, the Russians would be blown out of the water. The truth is the morale is down. It is not spin. The truth is there are Russians who are refusing to follow orders. The truth is two generals have been shot down, that nine aircraft were taken out of the skies over the weekend, that two more were hit this morning. Uh, and the Russians, uh, the Goliath in this case, is not too impressive. Are you? Is that one of the biggest surprises of this, Josh? Yeah, but the it, it's a crazy shame that we're not taking full advantage of it. You know, you know what? I, when I talk to people who have been getting bombed by Russians, and there are a lot of them around the world, they always say the same thing: the, the strongest weapon anyone has is the will to fight for what's theirs, the will to fight for their families, and their communities, and their nation, and their freedom, and their dignity. That's much stronger than any army, uh, but you know there there is an amount of killing that will crush that. Now in Syria, they've been fi- surviving Russian attacks for seven years so far, still going on for seven years. That's what the Ukrainians are staring down. They're staring down seven years or more of fighting Russian bombs and tanks and missiles and and and, and rockets and cluster bombs and starvation and propaganda and disinformation and the only thing stopping that is us. Uh, you know, unfortunately, American-led power is better than the alternative. It's the thing that prevents uh, atrocities from happening if it works. And right now, it's not working. We have to be honest with each other. We have to do more. We have to help these people help. And, save and by the their way, in talking, Josh, I'm not talking to people listening at home. I'm Josh Rogan's not a warhawk. He's not a Republican or Democrat. He's just reporting as he sees it. I don't know who you voted for. You're just you're able to get inside information, inside use your experience to come up with these conclusions. So that's why I think it's so important to hear from you, let alone get your book. But here's a little of the speech we just they just concluded with Joe Biden talking about what America's role is. We made this decision in close consultation with our allies and our partners around the world, particularly in Europe, because a united response to Putin's aggression has been my overriding focus to keep all NATO and all of the EU and our allies totally united. Right. And he did talk about his response, which is the fourth. Right. I mean, listen, you're right. I, I, I think the best way to avoid war is by showing strength to tyrants. Okay. The best way to invite war is to show weakness to tyrants. And that's what history shows us. So if you're for peace and you're against war, especially the war in Ukraine spilling over into Europe and then maybe spilling over to where we're involved, the best thing to do now would be to stop him in Ukraine. The best thing to – it's better to fight Putin in Ukraine than to fight him in Europe or in a, our, our or in the Baltics. So, or in the Baltics or anywhere else. So this is the fight that's on, and I'm not saying we should go to war with Putin. I'm saying we should help the Ukrainians uh, fight for their lives and for their freedom because uh, we, we, we might be next. Uh, that's true. And, Josh, what do you think this means for China and taking Taiwan? What do you think they're gleaning from this? You know, there's been a lot of crazy talk in Washington, Brian, about, oh, maybe China's an honest broker. Maybe they can mediate this thing. That's all nonsense, okay? The Chinese Communist Party and, and Vladimir Putin are as close as lips and teeth. That's a quote from Mao Zedong, okay? What they're doing is they're underwriting the invasion of Ukraine, and then they're pro- propagating Russian propaganda. They're on Putin's side. That will never change. Now, what that means for us is that we better stop Putin now or Xi Jinping's going to look at Taiwan and, and like it's lunch. OK, and, and you know, with all ap- dictators, the appetite grows with the eating. So if we don't stand up for democracy in Hong Kong, we don't stand up for it in Ukraine. Why would we stand up for it in Taiwan? That's the message. That's why we have to act.
Uh, Josh Rogan's book's out, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, She, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Josh, thanks so much. Anytime. You got it. one 408 7669 I'll bring Mac more of that speech when we return on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports, and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. Go, uh, President, with about a 20-minute speech, not taking any questions, which is unacceptable, but that's the reality. He has decided not to get his 650,000 barrels of oil a day, which is 3% of our total uh, import uh, from Russia. So I, I think that's a long time coming. He's probably the last one to do it. Also, we understand Europe will cut uh, their input of Russian gas by two-thirds. They get about a quarter of all the oil and gas from Russia. They're going to cut back. But as been brought up by Josh Rogan, uh, just seven of 300 banks have been sanctioned. This is only a small hit on their oil production. And they're going to feel it. As many of these American companies have pulled out, for some reason, not Starbucks, not McDonald's, not Coke, and not Pepsi for now. But things like Shell and Apple and Disney and Netflix, uh, American Express, Visa, and MasterCard are all pulling out. The private sector is deciding not to refine in places like Sweden and Finland and in Texas. A lot going on. Quick announcement for the sports fans. Aaron Rodgers will stay with the Packers, according to ESPN. So the free agent is not going to be a free agent. He's going to be a quarterback until his 40s in Green Bay. I think that's a good move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, go to briankilmeade.com. You'll be able to comment and write me 24 hours a day and pick up any of my books. The President of Freedom Fighter, out now. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.